to the Light Gray Art Lab podcast. I'm Lindsay Knoll. I'm Jenny Bookler. I'm Chris Heine. And I'm Francesca Butchko. And we are just a couple days away from the Cosmos exhibition uh, opening reception this Friday from 7 to 10 p.m. We've got a million, or close to a million, really, (laughs) a hundred astral bodies, uh, uh, constellations, and planets that are all going to be illuminated for your visual pleasure. Uh, In fact, I think we've been, (laughs) Jenny likes my... (laughs) my description of this but in fact let me tell you a little bit about that so as we get closer to the opening we have a bunch of surprises um we're going to be unveiling the cosmos tarot and oracle deck that day it's the first time anybody's seen it in the flesh which is great um and jenny will tell you about that project in just a moment but we also have as i as i just said one second ago um a fiber optic installation where we are actually going to be at several intervals during the night turning out the lights and just like good old camp times when your camp counselor would turn out the lights and point at the stars and say this is <laughs> wait a minute wait a minute <laughs> this is orion's belt here is the history or turn off the lights of the yeah camp. turn yeah just Every like they would do Every once in a while Yep. It's going to happen. Okay. Yeah, this is a surprise. Surprise, Francesca. Now you know. So, um, but the coolest thing is, as you see the lights go out just momentarily, every every now and again, we'll do it so you can really get the full effect of being in the gallery with all of the stars. And so, uh, just like real life, we've got different illuminated pieces. You can kind of look around the gallery and see if you can spot the ones that you know, and you kind of quiz yourself. And of course, you've got all the information about the myths and the metaphors and um, the magic of all of these pieces everywhere. So you can kind of learn a little bit if you'd like. Um, yeah, so the opening will have um, these guided star tours. Oh, as yes, well. that's a better way yes, of saying it. Yes, guided star said- tours, as well as refreshments and drinks and a really cool photo op um if you have a halloween costume or a a star trek costume you want to wear you are more than welcome definitely a star trek costume yes so it'll be super fun we're also going to be doing some cosmic tarot reading and you can purchase any of the prints or check out the cosmos project for the first time so stop on by say hi it'll be a really fun evening it'll be great and so um with all of that kind of stuff we'll be hopefully in the next week or so giving you a video preview of the um, Cosmos Tarot and Oracle deck somewhere on the internet, probably on YouTube or something, and we'll show you that. Chris is like, what? Don't worry, Chris. But it'll be great. And so you can see it in action. You can see it in in the flesh. So um, also, I know we have some game nights coming up, but I don't know if Chris has really thought about what the themes are yet. Yep. I have not, and we okay. don't have dates set, but I think probably two weeks from now is fine, right? Just continue like on schedule. Continue so the next one would be, yeah, November 5th would be the next okay. one. That seems like a good day for that. Um, and I'll put the actual dates and all the details online shortly. That's great. And we've been playing lots of cosmic games and mystical games over the last, like, I don't know, month or so. Mm-hmm. And that's been really good. So, um, we also have something awesome that's up right now. Uh, I believe as it stands, we only have one or two spots left for our trip to Uray, Colorado. That's coming up this New Year's Eve. We're taking a bunch of people to explore the mountains, to sit in the hot springs, to climb some ice and to be out there, um, with a bunch of other great artists to, uh, converse, to explore and to be in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, so that'll be super fun. Um, you can find all the information about that on our website. There's a big button on the front page, and you can check it out, see some photos of what it looks like, um, and see all the details and pricing and stuff like that. So, you'll find it all there. And we are getting really excited about that trip. So, it'll be over New Year's Eve. So, if you want to celebrate in good company and kick off the beginning of the year with creative exercises and stuff, it'll be really fun. It'll be super cool. So, yeah. Yep, right on the front of the website. So, yes, we also have a big exhibition opening this December. So if you guys want to mark your calendar for December 4th for the opening of Bowerbird. Um, So that show is all about curating and collections. Each artist is creating a limited edition series of postcards that celebrates their own collections and things that they love. Um, So you can check that out. All the details are also on the website and that will be coming very soon. Yep. And so as you guys know, maybe once a year or so, we have a giant swap. This is this year's swap. So everybody that's
gets involved is getting a huge collection of everybody else's work. So you get to see one of each piece. Um, and it really is fun to see everything all at once. And so all that will be archived online too. So you can see it even if you're not in town. So uh, December 4th. Uh, so yes. Yeah, so we have a uh, kind of a, a different Switch surprise. Through. Yeah. So, so how's this going to work, Francesca? Well, I was thinking that since so many of your podcasts kind of focus on well, every once in a while, you'll focus on an interview with a specific artist talking about a project, especially a big project that they did. I thought it would be cool, since you guys are doing a giant project, to have somebody interview you about your process and what you think about the Cosmos project. Mm. And since I haven't really been there very much, <laughs> and I have limited knowledge about all this one went, I figured I could be the person to interview you guys. That oh, sounds fun. How fun. How? Yeah, <laughs> how yeah. Nice. <laughs> it's it's cool. It's also cool because I've seen how many of the light gray projects go. So I think I have a good background knowledge of kind of some stuff. But thinking about like I, I came up with a bunch of questions and I figured, you know what, there's some things that I don't even know about past projects that I think would be enlightened by asking about the Cosmos project. So sure. That sounds fun. Let's do that. Okay, good. cool. So I know you guys have been working like really hardcore on putting the gallery together, but a lot of my questions and a lot of the interest that I have is kind of throwing back to when you were putting together the deck in the book. So if you want to stretch your brain back to when <laughs> oh, that man. was a thing. That was a long and, time ago. And actually stretch back even further because I would like to know how the Cosmos Project kind of first was born. I remember being there for a little bit of it, but what what really spawned this project? I have a partial answer. And I okay. have a partial answer. Okay. Cool. Maybe I'll put it together. We'll have a full answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, my partial answer kind of goes like this. Um, I believe that back when we were doing stacks, uh, I had a personal interest in constellations and stars and all that kind of stuff obviously the whole world also is having the same thought you know and so we're all looking at like astrology we're thinking about like symbolism everything is showing up not only in pop culture but it you know it's on our apparel it's all over the place and I think back when we were doing stacks or planning for stacks um I was personally thinking about this stuff and thinking about how I was going to integrate that into my zine because my zine was all Mm -hmm. about the future, you know, because I had the, mm-hmm. the last one. And I remember sitting there thinking like, oh, this would be really fun because I was looking at all the constellations and stuff. Um, and my personal interests, of course, are in, you know, a lot of like funny esoteric stuff and, you know, mysticism and, you know, history of different things and myths and all that kind of stuff is really interesting to me. And so we hadn't yet explored the concept of astrology. And that was something that I think after going through and looking at the Myers-Briggs and trying to like figure out our, how our personalities fit into certain things or, you know, or after having done the tarot deck when we were like, oh, this is all about the human, you know, human condition and everything that a person goes through in life. All those things are, are united, of course, with, um, you know, and somewhat connected with what happens in astrology or what happens with how people have assigned like meaning to clusters of stars in space. And so it got us thinking about, you know, not only the current like thread of, of topic that was running through people's, you know, other lives and, you know, stuff that they were wearing or doing or seeing or consuming. But it was also something that personally I think was really exciting because we were like, well, what about the old oracles and how did they figure out how to read the stars and where did that come from? And, you know, what is up there and why do we care about it? So that's sort of what sparked that for me. What about you? Yeah, well, I think, I mean, of course, we've been interested in tarot for several years and like storytelling and decrypting messages and things like that like reading tarot very much is like reading a story for somebody and we've been to the north star tarot conference the past several years and astrology is always something that's like mentioned or it comes up in like one way or another and several of the people there have written books on astronomy and it's really fascinating um i also think that like around that time we were 
personally having lots of conversations about your zine that was coming up and what was going on. We were looking at our birth charts and trying to decipher the, um, there's like this chart that happens on a birth chart and it shows you like where the planets are aligning and what's happening. And I think even these days, there's a lot of really interesting things that are happening as far as like the blood moons or different combinations of planets overlapping and stuff. And lots so of eclipses. Yeah, lots of eclipses. It's coming up more now than it has in a long time. And also lots and lots of movies about like cosmos and space and stuff. And so I think it's been a theme that's sort of like crept up and is so interconnected to everything else that we do and are interested in, but didn't know a lot about it. And so it was a good chance to like learn a lot about astronomy and astrology and stuff like that. Yeah, I think that's one thing that I I thought when I was kind of reviewing this and even when Cosmos started to become a thing is this year actually marks the, is it the third anniversary of the light gray tarot? I think yeah, so. Yeah, right? I think so. Which I thought, Why oh, that's... Why are we so old? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't get know, so but, old. Oh, God. But I, I think it's it's easy for me to see how this is a cool progression from the light gray tarot, like it's related, but it also feel like feels like it expands on, you know, the light gray tarot as well as previous projects. And I also wondered if you guys view it that way as well, or is it more of like it just so happens that it relates, but it's not necessarily a progression. Do you like do you view your shows as kind of building on each other, or do you think of it more as these are little individual projects that kind of relate just because we have similar interests well i think i mean you sort of said part of what i what i think is true i think that any person sort of has a you know a thread of interest that is really hard to break out of sometimes and as you look at our past shows i mean if you really were just to line them up one by one you'd be like oh i get what these guys are about you know they're about either history science um, weird, like, That's metaphysical like stuff. Yeah. Or, you know, but the funny thing, which you notice, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of pop culture. There's not a right. lot of, like, intellectual properties. There's not a lot of, like, I mean, there's, there's plenty of things that there's not a lot of, you know, mm-hmm. um, but yeah. they're, but they are, happen to be sort of like a cyclical thematic, like, you know, thing that we do that, that we're like, well, this is interesting because this topic has not been exhausted. However, it is somewhat related to this new thing that we're thinking of. And that's how we started to think of the new thing was we were, we have already consumed whatever the last one was. It's hard to let it go, you know? Yeah. I I also think like if we, and we've talked about this before, like if we're going to make it a tarot deck, like what would be the differences or what would be the intentions of doing another one like what would we want to learn or how would we want to challenge ourselves like why would it be any different than doing a similar project again where we're just picking new people and we didn't really want to do the same project again right I mean I feel like a lot of it came from the fact that we we wanted to do an oracle deck and for anybody that doesn't know what that is an oracle deck is very similar to a tarot deck in in that it's a, a divin or divination tool it can be a reflection tool. It can be a meditative mm-hmm. tool. It's basically just a bunch of cards with images on them. And sometimes they have some keywords and it works kind of like a tarot deck in that you're supposed to shuffle the cards, stick them down, look at them and then interpret them. And the funny thing was, is we, we had gone back and forth about putting the tarot into it or not mm-hmm. many, many times. And, you know, of course we, we were like, why repeat ourselves? But then we're like, you know what? This is actually an easier way for people to use the interactive portion of it because there are familiar elements that when you're looking at an entirely new set of 100 images, it becomes, it becomes first of all, a challenge to read what they are if they're just a bunch of images, right? Then mm-hmm. there is the, you know, the myth on top of it but sometimes when you have both of those things plus a relatable element, like anybody who had ever seen a tarot deck before, you're also kind of pulling up some of the information you already know about that. And so then it becomes a little easier to to use. Like the story grows. Yeah, the story yeah. grows. It's easier to use. You have familiar elements and you have things to recall. And so the funny thing about it is we weren't sure exactly whether or not it was going to be a you know tarot number two, which it isn't. Right. Um, mm-hmm. It 
it turned out to have um, a lot of different images that actually, strangely enough, do relate directly to a lot of the same themes um, in tarot. Yeah, but so it's, it's unintentionally. Like tarot you know. squared rather than tarot two. Yeah, and the funny thing is when you read through the book, so we wrote this massive book, and we'll, we can talk about that later too, but when you read through the book, the first section of each card's like description is, here is the myth. Here is what the importance of this image is, or here's what this constellation is. Then it goes into, here's what the metaphor about this is, or the meaning of this card, and it's all directly pulled from whatever the story of the constellation is. Yeah, which I think mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense. Like, I don't know I don't know at what point we paired together the 88 constellations and the 78 tarot cards. Like, I don't know if it was always going to be in the format of a tarot card or, like, tarot cards. Um, but it makes a lot of sense. Like, all of the constellations have, like, a specific action that's associated with the constellation. They're like, this person did this and there's a heroic act or they had to overcome something which relates to a lot of the story elements in tarot they're supposed to relate to life events and phases and timing and stuff like that and so it makes a lot of sense that if something is like remarkable in the sky and somebody decided to make a story about it that it would relate somehow to like human life it totally does and it naturally sort of had those like topics attached to the myths and therefore it was a very easy pairing of which one goes with which suit and then which part of the story in the suit is this so i guess so, oh yeah sorry go ahead. no what so i mean i know your question was like kind of a two-part question like how did that happen did we think about just doing like tarot number two or did it have its own thing and it just happens to be somewhat related did that kind of answer your question yeah yeah no totally it it seems that i mean in, in general like race projects kind of have that there's a seed of something that kind of is throughout, but you're growing without necessarily continuing to look back at what you've done. You know, it's continuously progressing and like reaching for the next, like next level of what else can we add to this, which is, I think is really cool. Actually, when you were talking about um, like pulling stories from human nature and kind of how there's all these historical aspects to the constellations. Um, I was going to ask about that. What what was what did you find particularly difficult and particularly like tribulating about researching something like this? Because it is kind of historical. There's a mythological element to it, but then you're also dealing with something that's very subjective. Reading tarot cards. So yeah. what, which part are you talking about? Just to, to the, clarify, well, I, which part is, are you asking what was the hardest thing of the yeah. entire project or is specifically the research aspect? The research aspect. Because I, I, for me, I feel like it would be difficult to, to research something like this since a lot of the constellations have multiple stories and they kind of cross, you know, different yeah, I guess the trickiest part about this, and and this goes across anything, like when you're jumping into a new realm of subjects, like you almost have to learn all the vocabulary and all of the things before you sort of know how it pans out. And so like researching every single thing and even on like the um, more like astrological side of things too, like all the symbolism and stuff like that, like learning it all first and then deciphering like how it works together Mm because I think it's difficult when you're jumping in like we would never jump into astronomy and be like this constellation means this and it's going to be placed in this position for the deck without knowing like the rest of everything else so I think it had to like come in phases the other thing I think made it way easier is that because every constellation has like a different cultural significance depending on where in the world you were or what time of like what era it was or Or like when it was discovered when it was discovered by who you know what I mean it's it's kind of like if one guy over here discovered it or if one whole culture discovered it over here um what we did was we we took all the names of the modern constellations and then as we gave them out to the artists at random it was up to them to decide which interpretation they wanted so we have constellations in here where people are focusing on um, Chinese mythology. We have ones that are Greek and Roman mythology. We have ones from, um, you know, 
a bunch of different cultures like all South around. American? Yeah, and it's interesting some because... Some more scientifical-based and less oh yeah, tradition-based. Like the super modern ones where you can't see without like a super powerful you know telescope, those have more of processing. So what what's an example of the super modern ones? Because actually, I, I only have seen... I don't think I've seen all the artwork, which... Well, the one I have that the about one that, that later too, but. Um, like you know, microscopium and telescopium, and you know, They're like name for modern tools. Yeah, any of the ones that you can kind of see that are named for tools, or like or like links even is a modern one because it was so faint you actually can't see it unless you have some sort of like aid or super amazing eyeballs or something like that. Um, but a lot of those were just found later, and the interesting thing about those tiny funny super modern constellations are those are usually in the crevices between the massive ones that are seen mm-hmm. from all over you know whatever the hemisphere is that you set you happen to be in yeah there's a couple too that like have changed over time like lepus or things like that that at one point they were viewed a certain way and over time have been viewed differently or have been taken apart like there's a ship that has been taken apart into like its mass or its sail or things like that. So I think some of the constellations have adapted over time. So that's why they say the 88 modern constellations as they currently exist. Yep. And so um, that made it a little bit easier too, because as we gave out, like, here is the title of your constellation, do your research, you know, and that's what, that's the great thing about working with the artists that we work with is that they are so smart about deciding like how to interpret concepts. They do a ton of research and then pick one that they think is, you know, the best representation or one that they think they can do justice, you know, to, and, and it becomes a really interesting um, exchange because they provide us on a couple levels, not only with the imagery, but also we ask each artist to put out a, um, we send out a form, and we said, fill this out. It's about them. It's about their artwork. It's about their intentions. It's about, you know, like a little piece of information and it's context for why they did what they did, which is one of the big things that we like to do in the gallery is that you don't, you don't just show a piece of thing and then just expect everybody to get it. Um, we also allow people to, again, write their mini art, artist statement about whatever their piece was, whether mm-hmm. that is contextual or if it is like about who they are. And so in the gallery, when you walk in and even online, when you're clicking through the gallery, once this is up next Friday, you can read the whole thing about what this image is like. And you do have the context of it and you can kind of see how, how many different, you know, different pieces it went through. So the very first part again is the information the artist has provided us and said, this is this constellation from this culture. This is who saw it. And then the second part is, this is the metaphor. This is what this story means this is like the kernel that you're supposed to get out of this like adventure this epic moment or this Mm -hmm. you know did did you guys get any really cool interesting or personal stories from artists about the constellations were any of them particularly like they had some kind of i don't know previous history with either the astral body or the constellation that they illustrated or did they find any connection did you get kind of like with the tarot deck? I know there were some, every once in a while you'd hear from somebody and they'd say, oh, I don't really believe in tarot, but I got attracted to this card. Or I do really believe in tarot and this card there is, means everything to me. Well, there are ones like that? that I think people chose, you know, chose one of the interpretations because it spoke loudest to them. Um, I know that, did you have something to say, Chris? Um, I can't remember, maybe you'll help me remember which one it is, but I think it's like... Jorge de la Paz did a version Indus or something like that. In Sagitta? Yeah. Is that the one where they related it to the um, kind of the revolution of... Chile? Chile, yeah. Um, Which is not what the constellation was necessarily about originally, but um, it was sort of an interpretation where they took the kind of meaning behind the constellation and applied it to a Chilean, not folk hero, but actual um, revolutionary hero. So that was one that strikes me as particularly going down a very specific path to that that person so yeah yeah and i know uh we were talking to claire hummel about her piece also she had um perseus but she actually depicted medusa in like a very specific moment and she talked about how important like that card was to her and how she like receiving it the interpretation of what she actually 
showed was different than if somebody else probably would have gotten it. Right. Her her concept of who Perseus was was mm-hmm. like a horrible person. She's like, oh, per- Perseus is a horrible person mm-hmm. in right. many like, different Perseus ways. Perseus isn't even depicted in the card. No, you get the hint of his actions in it. Yes. Um, and it's very interesting because, of course, you know, that's the point of being able to interpret this constellation. And I think, you know, Lepus um, is the rabbit and Kate O'Hara did that one. And she shows the rabbit caught in the jaws of a, you know, a hound. And so in that case, it's not just shown as the rabbit, which could have been, you know, interpreted as all sorts of stuff, but it's rabbit caught finally. Um, And so in the book, it talks a lot about how, you know, this caught rabbit is a metaphor for the end of naivete and how you at one point find out how the world really works and some of like, you know, the things you thought were true, aren't true anymore. Or sometimes you're exposed to something that completely changes your world in a positive manner. And you're glad that you know the answers now. And so Mm -hmm. it's very interesting because, you know, that rabbit was meant to be kind of, uh, you know, in her, in her depiction, much more about the end of what that rabbit symbolized as a free rabbit, you know? Yeah. So, well, I guess, Francesca, you had right. a card in this deck also. Did you feel like you related to your piece at all? Um, yes, I think I've... It is definitely something that comes up every once in a while. So the one, the card that I had was Corvus and Crater, and the story is about a crow that is sent to go and bring a cup of water, I -hmm. believe, to Apollo. And he gets distracted along the way and is finds this tree with fruit and decides to stop and and do that instead and kind of gets caught up and then ends up not even bringing back what he was supposed to. So it is about making excuses and not doing... So it's perfectly in line with your life philosophies. (laughs) (laughs) Just just kidding. Sizzling diss. I think it, it comes... I think, well, I mean, I think it, it's like, it's, it is a human thing and I definitely have that problem sometimes. So when I was making it, I was thinking a lot about that. Um, but actually that kind of goes back to another question that I have, because I know Chris, you and Lindsay also made cards in this deck. And when I was making my card, one thing that I was thinking a lot was I want to do this different than when I did my tarot card because when I did my tarot card I basically just copied the Rider Waite tarot card and this one I was like well I'll try to be a little more symbolic even though it's probably not as symbolic as I would have liked I still tried to do that did you guys find that you approached making this card differently than you did approach your tarot Um, card yeah well there was nothing to directly reference so um which but one it was yours, Chris? I guess Mine was Karina, it. which Jenny mentioned it kind of before. It's one of the pieces of the boat. It used to be um, one massive... Argo? Yeah, it used to be one massive constellation of Argo, the ship from Jason and the Argonauts. Um, but it was broken into Karina and... Puppis. Um, or Puppis or whatever. Puppis um, and Vela, right? And Vela, yeah. yeah. Um, so mine was the hull. I believe is what it's called, which is like kind of the piece underneath the boat that steers it. Um, So mine had some pretty obvious um, symbolism. I mean, it kind of steers the boat. It's all about um, avoiding danger and things like that, but it also sticks out below the boat. So it's kind of dangerous. So I just took off that and kind of made mine. um, I really wanted to make it graphic and kind of really clear that this boat was kind of, it's like this, it's actually instead of going with like an old-fashioned boat it's kind of like a um a fishing type boat a little bit more hardy that you might see in in alaska or something like that and it's kind of cruising through the water um with this massive hull on it that's just skirting above um you know these icebergs and there's there's icebergs you can see but then there's one below the surface and it's just like just passing over it so it's safe passage through these um kind of icebergs but there's still unknown things that could affect it so that's kind of where i went with mine and and um i don't know it didn't apply to me super personally i guess but do you feel it kind of applies to human like yeah i think it's just a generally a good kind of metaphor and and so i liked it on that level but i didn't get it and i wasn't like oh the hull of a ship i'm so (laughs) 
<laughs> it's me. It's touching me on a spiritual level or anything like that. So uh, uh, I was cool with it. I, it was not the most exciting. I mean, when I, it took me a lot of sketching and a lot of um, a lot of iterations to kind of arrive at where I was because it is a not. It's not a sexy constellation when you really kind of... There is. There are plenty of them that I think I am very impressed by what the artist did because when you think about it, I mean, there's somebody, of course, that'll get Pegasus and you're like, oh, yeah, and then you'll get like Chris's or you'll get mine. Mine is Mensa and mine means a table. And then, <laughs> you know, and then you're like, okay, I get a table. That's not the same as Pegasus, but that is like... I mean, it is a huge creative challenge where you're trying to figure out exactly what that means. And um, mine was interesting because, again, I found the reference uh, of why it was what it is. And so mine is like a weird, what is it, a rhombus shape? It's not a parallelogram. It's like a rhombus. Yeah, it's like a weird little... I mean, it's it's like nothing crazy. It looks like, you know, a little four, four stars, and then it's kind of weird and... It's named after so you, Table Mountain in um, South Africa. And so it it is named after something. And so when I researched that, there is tons of folklore about that mountain specifically. And so even though whoever named it, um, they didn't necessarily bring all the folklore and give it a story itself in the sky, it does have its own local folk- folklore where it is supposed to be this beacon of peril and so it drags sailors out from sea into like the rocky shores you know this mountain has this magnetic pole where everything and anything in its path is pulled into this vortex of its you know bad luck and so you have to um avoid it if you can Uh, but it's also kind of one of those things where it's the only thing if you've been sailing for a long time it's the only thing that you can see from out there so it's one of the beacons that also tells you land is near and so you have to decide whether or not you are going to brave the passage and try to get to shore or be broken up between, you know, sea and land somewhere in there because of the storms that happen over there. So it's a very interesting kind of concept, but I was very literal with it. I drew a mountain. Um, I drew Table Mountain and I drew a dark and stormy sea. Lots of purple. Lots of purple, like I always <laughs> do somehow. I don't know how that happens. And then um, some of the symbolism that is in there, of course, is there. It's at night. It's stormy. There's a moon. Um, we always talk about in the tarot. There's like anytime a moon shows up, it's about, you know, um, about mystery and it's about subconscious and it's about like you know unseen forces. And so it made a lot of sense that that subject would be, you know, how I would interpret it. And of course, it ended up as the high priestess. Um, in the in the tarot part of the um, cards, and so it actually has sort of its alluring kind of magnetic side, but it also has kind of its creepy, you know, veiled side. Veiled side. Yeah. Well, do you think that called to you? Then there was a mountain, and there was an ocean, there was a moon. Yeah, actually, I like all those things, but I don't, I don't know how that happened. I mean, they were they were random. We just put everybody's name in alphabetical order, and then just gave people a constellation. So I happened to get that one. You know, Chris actually, you know, got his because um, we had one person that wasn't able to do it. And so he, he jumped back in um, and got that. So, you know, you don't, you're not in charge of which one you get. And I think it's interesting because we did not art direct those. We weren't like, you get this one, you get that one. Mm-hmm. So do you, th- what do you we- feel that the artists project something onto the cards as well? Because of with, course, um, I'm trying to think. Oh, for instance, you even said like in the last you were talking about, was it Lepus, the the rabbit? Yeah. And how that the artist chose to interpret that, that like awakening or awareness of reality, that moment was, she depicted it a certain way. And had it been given to another artist, it might have been depicted with a completely different tone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think they all are. I think they always are. I mean, there are some people that depicted like, um, you know, um, like Andromeda and Cassiopeia are in an ocean and, um, that card is supposed to be about the innocence of, um, Andromeda, the little tiny baby and Cassiopeia, the horrible mom that, <laughs> that put her baby in peril. Cause she said that all of the, um, the, the sea gods daughters weren't as pretty as herself and her, her daughter. And so she said, ha ha ha, I'm so beautiful and everything is wonderful. And then 
um, the sea guide was like, I'm going to get you <laughs> because of your horrible, horrible words. And so she depicted more of this, like, um, kind of the moment of Cassiopeia being bitten by sea snakes and baby Andromeda looking kind of innocent. And so it's like the moment of action. Other people have done it before the peril, after the peril, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, everything is different. Um, jail Hurton, uh, did, uh, Aquilius, which is the Horsehead galaxy. And the story mm-hmm. about that one is how, um, one of the nymphs, I believe was, um, pregnant with an illegitimate child of Jupiter. Uh, I think I'm going to have to go check my facts. I here. would guess Zeus just based on Zeus's other Zeus is bad at that. He just like goes around and just has like babies with whoever. And then you're like, what are you doing? <laughs> like everybody is Zeus's baby. Basically. Uh, yeah. There is. Everybody. Everyone's Zeus's baby. Yeah. <laughs> Title of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Could be him. I know that sometimes they, they're like Jupiter and Zeus are the same. They also say that sometimes. Really? Yeah. And I don't know why. And I'm not sure who decided that. Is that one was. just Roman and one is Greek? It could be. Yeah, it, I think it is. They're they're just different names for different cultures. Yeah, and so they were, and she was like, "Oh, I'm embarrassed, and my dad can't find out that I'm going to have this baby because he's totally going to get me." And so somebody took pity on her, and you know, she was so so distraught about having um, this happen that they turned her into a horse, and you can only see her her head in the cosmos peeking out from behind a bunch of other stuff, and so. Um, J.L. Hurton did this beautiful rendition of just a horse's head uh, peeking out from a bunch of flowers. And, you know, it's just the end of the story. It's the absolute end of the story, you know. So people did do a very good job. And, you know, and J.L. Hurton also does like amazing uh, botan- or botanical and wildlife work uh, because that's what they do during the day. And it's it's amazing to see that they have decided that that's how they were going to interpret this card because it totally makes sense with their practice. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. I'm sure there are probably people that would have loved to get like a bird, you know, mm-hmm. and instead got like a man <laughs> or something or like, or a table, <laughs> you know, <laughs> there are some, some things like that that I'm sure that they probably have found a way to make it interesting. I think it's, mm-hmm. it's also very interesting. Um, Nicole Gustafson um, did horologium, which is another one of those ones where it's like a machine, um, or a piece of a clock, you know, that doesn't have a lot of folklore behind it. But, um, and, and Nicole also does a ton of really fanciful, beautiful work with lots of like animals and, um, you know, kind of fantasy related content, mm-hmm. but did an amazing job doing this piece of horologium, which is basically a bunch of parts of a clock and, um, you know, foliage. And it's, it's incredible. It's one of my favorite ones in the entire um, yeah, it's one I deck. chose a lot for marketing purposes, just because it, it's it, beautiful. The, the way she did it looks very um, cosmic. Cosmic, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, very, yeah, very full of meaning and insight. Yeah, it's really nice. And so, yeah, again, it's very funny. Everybody, I think, you know, tried to figure out like, how can I do this justice? What kind of like context do I want to put this in? And they had so many choices along the way, like. What t- which one of these myths that goes with this constellation? Now what's the story? Which piece of the story? Now what is the you know the imagery that I'm going to use? And just like everybody goes through, but it's really funny because I think everybody did an incredible job with this, and it made our job really easy to sort it into um, each of the different categories because of course we have an oracle deck which we knew right off the bat are all the planets and all of the astral bodies. So things like black holes or, um, you know, pulsars or binary systems or things like that. All that was already bucketed into the Oracle deck, which is all about kind of bigger, grander themes. Mm -hmm. And then the tarot deck has again, all of the nuances of your daily life, plus the major arcana, which are again, sort of like the the concept of self-awareness and growing into being a person. And so the Oracle, the 22 Oracle cards that are these huge concepts kind of are like the little capstone for, you know, the little bottom layer of, of minor arcana, then the major arcana, and then the Oracle ones on the top. And so it's kind of this big pyramid of, of content. 
anyway. So do you actually, the Oracle deck is something also that I feel like I'm less familiar with. Do you guys find that you have favorite cards having researched all these? And I mean, I thought of it because the Oracle deck is probably a little bit, like you say, grander, but even among the, the tarot part of the deck, do you, is there one or two in particular that you're drawn to? Out of the Oracle ones? Out of all of them. But I imagine, like, I, yeah, I figured I mean, the Oracle would kind of, oftentimes people find the major arcana cards are really special to them. Like, usually one is, you know, like, I, I, for me, I like the tower. But do you find that you have one in this new deck that you find is kind of like well, your... I always like things that are full of destruction and darkness. So Black Hole, I like. Can you tell me about it? Can you tell me about that card? About the card? Well, I'm it's talking... Rovina Kai's card. Yeah, I'm talking about specifically just as a card to make a black hole is a cool idea. And Do her you, card is really cool, too. Yeah, it's yeah. really cool. It's like a huge monster yeah. that you can only see like the neck and head of coming from the depths of the bottom of this card into a black void. It's yeah, like it's a kind black of like on a black. Jaws-like composition, mm-hmm. almost. Um, but yeah, it's really cool. And yeah. of course, black holes are all consuming and they just like, you know, take everything and anything in without any reservations. And so it is a very, it's a really good interpretation of that card. Yeah. And writing those interpretations, it's funny because the, you know, the constellations all had stories and mythology that you could draw on. But a lot of the um, cosmos or the, a lot of the Oracle deck were based on more phenomena, mm-hmm. which just by their very nature have like almost, I would say they were almost easier to write because it was so obvious. Like this is what a black hole does and it, you know, you can draw definite correlations. There's other ones like the, what is it? Binary star or something Mm -hmm. where Mm -hmm. it's these two things that are stuck in a uh, gravitational pole with each other and and they're kind of forever in a dance and interlocked or whatever. So I was going to say one of my favorites from the Oracle deck is the um, wormhole. Rodrigo Aviles oh, yeah, did that good. card and it's really smartly done. It's like a woman laying in bed and she's sort of sinking into the bed uh, along with all of the like speckled comforters and blankets that are around her. So it's sort of sinking into a hole and she's resting with her eyes closed. Like, I don't know, there's a lot of parallels between like going to another place or sinking in somewhere else um, or what's happening in another universe. So I think it's really smart. Yep. I Do mean, you it's have any favorites, Lindsay? Yeah, every single thing that's on the front cover of the Cosmos <laughs> of the Cosmos um, box, I think I had a really hard time. If I had to narrow them down, I I I have a hard time. I mean, I'm a I'm a huge fan of like I mean, I already talked about Nicole Gustafson's one of my favorite ones. Um, I think that uh, you know I I talked about like several of them that I think I'm really in love with. I feel like. It's hard to it's hard for me to narrow down to one, but let me see if I can do a good job here. Um, I feel like I don't know what are one of the ones I like. I don't Besides know. Besides all the ones I already talked about. Well, I I actually really do like uh, Zhang Mi did Corona Borealis, and that one I like. For the imagery, it actually reminds me of a couple of the cards in the traditional tarot deck. Um, it has these sort of two leopards that are facing each other. And um, it is a story about a woman who uh, like lost the first love and is now being embraced by her next love. But she's still like mourning the loss from the previous one. And I think, I don't know, I'm attracted to the imagery. Yeah, I mean yeah. they're they're incredible. I think people also did a really great job doing something that was able to be shown at poster size, which is what a lot of these are shown at in the mm-hmm. gallery. We have like multiple different sizes. I'm like staring over here at the partial install yeah. that Jenny's mm-hmm. done so far, and it, um, you know, they're at three different sizes in the gallery, and so you have the massive ones with a billion stars in all the little points, and then you have medium ones, and then you have small ones, but the small ones are still big, and so it's sort of interesting because in the deck they're you know 70 millimeters by 120 millimeters yeah precisely yeah Yeah. and so you you get to see somebody who's created an image that's both going to be working on a massive scale yeah um 
Something I like about this too, like we've seen the images for a while now, like we got the artwork back a couple months ago and every time we look at it or deal with it, it sort of changes. So like when we're reading traditional tarot, every time I look at those images, I have like a new meaning or new metaphors that come up. And so as we like continue to look at these pieces, like more stuff comes up and I tend to change my favorites and change the ones that I'm really into at the moment, you know? Okay. So I, yeah. I did, I, I, I'm not really sure how to say her last name, but Tucana um, is done by Marta Sudiga. Did I do it right? Does that, does that look know. like Jenny I have no idea. Jenny usually is the best on that. <laughs> you should spell it real quick. S, uh, it's hard to spell even. S-Z-U-D-Y-G-A. Oh, no. Sudiga? Sudiga. It's a, a good last name and also amazing piece of artwork. <laughs> It's a just a giant toucan in the foreground that is kind of calling out um, and very expressive. And then in the background, you can kind of see these figures that are walking um, and discussing. And it's a very it's a card about communication, about kind of being able to express oneself. And it's of an amazing image. And so that's one of my favorite ones. That one is not on the front of the um, box, but it's one that I look at all the time, and it's it's incredible. I think it's cool because, like Jenny was saying too, you as you use the deck more, you'll probably find you're gravitated towards certain cards yeah, well, that even, keep kind of showing up. Even we were doing a couple like practice readings yesterday. I printed out um, a small version so that I can look at them and practice, move them around stuff as we're installing. Mm-hmm. And even as I was like trying to talk through these metaphors and do a, a mini reading with them. Um, more and more stuff continues to pop out. Like I look at the foliage and now it means something different because it's next to a different card. And then I look at the colors and it means something different now that's next to something else. And so they like continue to adapt, which I think is what I like most about like the storytelling element of tarot or anything like that. Yeah. And speaking of uh, changing your opinion or changing how you feel about stuff, has this project changed your view of the night sky? Like when you go and look at the constellations do you feel a stronger connection do you take more pleasure in it do you i do make a point if, to... if i could see the stars that would be even cooler yeah. i mean i in theory i would i would stare up there and be like oh yeah do i know what this is i mean i'm so familiar with the shapes now that it's i mean it's really exciting but we live in a in a heavily light polluted area yeah. so i can see maybe the moon and maybe one other star, maybe the North Star. Well, we, and I can point at it and I'd be like, cool. We did get to go to Bryce Canyon earlier this summer mm-hmm. and see the night sky as clear as we probably could ever see it, which was really cool. I think that at that time, I all, I still couldn't recognize constellations. And I think it's really hard, too, when you can see so many stars. They You're are like, mixed into the bunch of everything and it's difficult to find them. But... Um, it's still really exciting, and I think we to- have a different connection to the sky than we did like a year ago or two years ago. Yeah, I think the Bryce Canyon trip probably affected my opinion more, and that was just because we had already been researching all these things, and I was like, boy, they sure are pulling a lot of stuff out of the sky. Um, but that's because my normal view of the sky is from the middle of Minneapolis, where you literally cannot see stars much at all. They're really not a looming presence over the city um, because of all the light pollution but when you go out there and they are it just it's funny because it doesn't feel bigger it feels like everything is close yeah the sky feels lower and it just feels like really dense um, because I believe Bryce Canyon where we were was the best place to see stars in the North America it's one of the ones because Northern Hemisphere it's an incredibly high altitude. Yeah, I think in, in America it's, also, it's like the place you can see the most. And it yeah. just, it felt, instead of feeling like this vast, wide open thing, everything felt close and like just vibrant. And I can, you know, like the, just how illuminated everything was, was a lot different than I expected, I guess, just because I've been in, you know, I come from not a major city. So, you know, we see stars out in the country or whatever, but no matter where you are, um, you really don't get that kind of unpolluted view unless you really get looking up either. I'll tell well, you I mean, the I mean, thing how many people country? are at all. Like, ever? do you ever, I mean, I like see it as I'm driving home. Like I'll see like if, a, if the moon's like, but I mean, if the sky was like that, it felt like, you know, how if you, 
you kind of picture the outside. You don't picture mostly sky, even though that's mostly what you're seeing because yeah. you're kind of seeing or at least 50% of what you're seeing. Um, yeah, well, here there's too many trees and stuff that you can't even right. tell what's going on. But when you are, so if you were there and you did see the sky that had so much detail going on, it was really like at nighttime, the sky had a lot more detail than any of the environment. So did. this is my theory. <laughs> it's not even a theory. It's probably exactly what happened. Um, that's totally why all these constellations have so much content in them, because when the lights went out in the middle of the, you know, ancient times, you... You weren't competing with anything. You had a sky full of stuff you could stare at all night. You probably mm -hmm. had two buildings. Right, and that was my <laughs> point. My like, going to Bryce Canyon made yeah. me see that perspective, and uh, then I was like, wow, I can see where Why somebody you would there. notice these yeah. collections of stars, and you would um, place so much importance on them because they are way more important. When, and I'm sure also, too, I mean, on a, on a moonlit night, you even if you are out in the country, you can see everything. Mm -hmm. Because there are certain things that are so bright and your eyes acclimate to like the darkness and stuff like that. And I'm sure, I'm sure that's exactly what it is. And it's funny because, you know, in the gallery for the opening reception is, you know, unless you're able to come here in person, you may not be able to see this. Um, we'll try and take a video or like a, you know, photos of these too. So you can really see what this looks like. But when we do turn off the lights here, you get our version of what the sky is like and you know, we don't get to see it in the city and we don't get to experience it because it's like, you know, it's constantly light out with neon signs and whatever car lights and stuff. But um, hopefully there's like a tiny bit of that magic that you can see in here. And we didn't talk a lot about the fiber optic part of it because I know, you know, it has been a mystery on how exactly that was going to work up until what, two weeks ago, you know? So I'll just admit that to everybody. <laughs> well, that's, well, we I did think some, that's part of the process. It is. It is. We did do a bunch of tests a long time ago, and we figured it out. And that's just part of the nature of how our projects work is that you you figure it out. And so we have um, a bunch to do still between now and Friday. But they're really cool because we've managed to kind of, like I said in the beginning of the podcast, each constellation is lit with a number of fiber optics that helps you see the density of certain stars and you know some are faint and some are bright and some are really bright and when we turn out the lights you can see the depth of you know things we can't see outside and it's it'll be fun to see that and especially uh, you know just for like the minute or two that we tell the story of whatever you know, cosmos we're going to be looking at each time we turn the lights off it'll just be for a moment you get to experience that thing that Chris was talking about where, you know, you get to kind of hear why people paid so much attention to that kind of stuff. But it has been a really cool experience to do this project. It's been since March, I think, that we've, you know, when we put out the call for art. Yeah. So it's yeah. been it's been a little while. <laughs> been a I mean, I know we were, we were researching earlier, even before we ever invited anyone to be a part of it. Yeah. And you know, right. and, like that's the thing you asked Francesca, like, what do we, like, what have we learned and like what surprising things have happened or what kind of struggles. And like with every project that we do, there is in little ways or big ways, like a uh, learning component that, you know, we do it because we want to learn about something like as people here, not just as like a gallery, we, we actually want to research and we want to expand like our knowledge of something and so this has been a really cool project to do that we've gathered a lot of new stuff that we didn't know before which mm -hmm. was neat and then yeah. the second thing is like it's also about the transformation um again it's an inner it's interactive which is something we like to do on a couple levels like you right. can come in here and interact with the artwork you can also interact with it if you want to you know read with it like in the tarot deck or the oracle deck. Um, and then the last thing is like the install part is really fun because it is unique to the show. And that, that has been a really interesting project. And that's why it took us like however many months this is, what, six months, nine months? Well, that's not yeah, even, that's you know, in the grand scheme of things, I think big projects for artists tend to take a long time. Like this isn't even that long compared to, I think, you know, like you guys do stuff pretty quickly. But one thing about what you've just been saying is it kind of ties to my last question, which is um, why I do appreciate about Liker at Lab is that all of the shows, there's weight and potential beyond just pretty art on the wall. 
And I was wondering what future plans you have for Cosmos in particular, because it is so much bigger than just a show for people to come and look at artwork. I'll let these guys talk first, but I have a couple things that I think would be really cool that maybe if someday it works, um, that'll be cool. But um, what do you guys think? Do you know? I don't know. I mean, I love hearing when people use our other decks or other projects and stuff like that. Like I continue to hear people be excited about learning a new thing. Um, We also bring all of our tarot decks and stuff to conventions and stuff like that. And it's exciting to like share with people for the first time. So I'm sure that we will be bringing it with us and traveling with us and using it as like a tool to get to know people. Um, I'm not sure as far as like bigger other things, but uh, I don't know. I'm excited to share it with people. I'm excited to see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny, you know, in this like we're down to the last second and we said this last podcast, all, all artists do everything at the last minute and that's just how that works. So we get our, we get our shipments of stuff um, like next you know, in the next couple of days mm-hmm. and then we're going to freak out and take a swim through them like Scrooge McDuck. Um, so, uh, do you have any thoughts, Chris? Um, not really. I mean, I don't have any particular plans besides other projects we do where hopefully people like it and hopefully people get it and hopefully people actually use it for its intended purpose too. I know you guys are reading with them and I, there's a lot of content packed in there. So I hope people, um, kind of digest that and I don't think it's that difficult it's probably even easier in some cases than regular terror yeah. oh, it totally is. Say, yeah. I mean, we were practicing with, with them the other day and I think like I don't know it's amazing always doing stuff with great illustrators and designers and stuff because they are good at giving you clues and so it's nice to look at the card and be like I get this I understand the mood and the context. I understand what these characters are doing, even if you don't know every single bit of lore behind There's it. Also, conveniently at the bottom, some keywords in case, <laughs> <Just> <laughs> in case you need that, and a huge chunk of text on the inside. So even if you're just pulling and those keywords, were a big factor that you wanted to have in from the very start. Oh yeah, and we put a lot of time because it was writing these what. 100 200 word, 300 word in some case descriptions, and then kind of picking out the important. And we're like, what is this? To kind of sum up the card. Yeah. I mean, which also really helped. I think we kind of wrote and then picked keywords. And then that helped us refine our writing and say, okay, this is really what this card's about. Does our writing reflect that? Right. And it didn't just come out of the air, too. And for anybody that's wondering about that, like, how, how could we possibly assign all these meanings to these things? And it was natural because it was it was already in the story of, you know, the culture and what people were trying to tell with like the characters and all that kind of stuff. And so it is directly related to the stories that people have told for generations. And so it was very easy for us to just say, what's the moral of the story? Oh, this, here you go. So what Francesca, you asked what, what I thought might be next with Cosmos for specifically for this project. So I have an idea that actually isn't my idea. It was Jenny's, but she forgot she said it. And then I, I didn't forget that she said it. And then I was like, hmm. I'm swoop it up. Yeah, I'm going to scoop it up. And I'm going to see. I contacted our friend Chris Jones the other day. And I said, Chris, remember? do you remember that um, Exquisite Corpse website you built? And for anybody that doesn't remember that, you can actually go and click. If you go to 2012 and you click on it, um, the exhibitions, and uh, go to Exquisite Corpse, or Night of the Exquisite Corpse, you can see all these um, creatures swap heads, torsos, and legs. And I was thinking about that code, and I was like, that would be a really amazing extension to repurpose to do a three-card tarot reading. Oh, that's cool. And I was like, that would be so neat if you could just go on the site and get a three-card tarot reading and, you know, just get a little tiny one and so I sent him a text and I was like how hard would that be and he's like well I'm moving right now and I was like oh yeah so (laughs) I was like well let me know and so he's like yeah I'll have some time after that and I was like well that would be really fun because I was like why not if you can make it interactive on a bunch of levels you might be able to make it interactive for anybody that shows up because Jenny and I were talking about it and there's there's maybe like you can count them on one hand great tarot like websites websites where you can go and get a reading just like it you know and it does like a thing where it shuffles your cards and it gives you one and you know and we were looking at them and they all look like they were made in 1995 
And then <laughs> we're like, how cool would that be if we had a nicely designed one and it went with the project that would just totally complete people, the whole thing. Yeah, I think people would really enjoy it. Yeah, I mean... And like comprehensive information. And yeah, like and that. we did all this work on this book and all this stuff that, that it would be great for people to be able just to see it in action. And I think that would be a nice cap to it. Obviously, we can't do that before the opening, but if it does show up, it would be great to you know, send it out to the artists that participated or, you know, just have it on there because basically half of the stuff we do is interactive. Mm -hmm. Um, So the second thing that I think would be really fun, which I don't know how this would work, is I thought it would be really amazing to have some sort of documentation and unless you're here, you won't see it of the um we have a a giant installation in the back of the adjunct gallery that will be a huge um it's just space it's just a whole wall it's just space um and it's all fiber optic and you can actually change the colors and you know stand in front of it and kind of be absorbed in it and take photos and all that kind of stuff and you know there are things like that that just disappear after the show is you know so so unless it goes to your house Unless it goes into my house. Chris, I'm going to put it on the ceiling. <laughs> so right. I'll be like, welcome. Welcome to my universe. That's the, that's the sexy talk I tell you. When you <laughs> and then you're like, let me turn this thing green. I'm like, hold on. So um, Chris doesn't like that. He doesn't want that. So I I don't know what happens to it after that, but it you know it certainly makes sense in the context of the rest of this stuff. But it would be great somewhere and i don't know how our website's set up right now for people to see it i just wish other people would be able to see i mean it's not exactly the same i could probably do an animated gif of basically the same thing and it'd be cooler looking than taking a video of it Mm -hmm. you know so anyway that's how i see it i feel like it it will live on in the deck and and people using it and hopefully people will gain some like kind of personal insight out of the content that's in there or learn about the myths like any part of that is fine with me you know, yeah. if people yeah. go and they just like, they're like, what's a Riga about? And they go and click on the website and they're like, ooh, so interesting. And then they go away. That's okay, too. <laughs> yeah. Know? I mean, that's a pretty cool potential, too, is that if you are, you know, using the deck and you find yourself drawn to a constellation or an astral body, it would encourage you to not only look into the story, but also to look into the scientific side. Like, yeah. what what is a pulsar or whatever, however you say those. Pulsar. Yeah. Well, I think it's funny too, like as we were researching this project and we were looking for other tarot decks that had similar content and we didn't see a lot of anything that had cosmic anything. So there were some that were Oracle, but they didn't have like an entire deck. Um, And so I think it's cool that some of these images, I'm sure people have drawn them, but maybe this is the first time or one of few times that people have drawn some of these I haven't seen any of them, and I crawl over eBay like yeah. all my so whole So I was life. just thinking it's cool that now there is an image, even if it just exists here, an image of that story, you yeah. know? So yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm proud of it. I think it's really fun. I'm excited for everybody to see it on Friday. I think it'll be really cool and maybe a big surprise. I know that we're competing with, like, everybody's Halloween things, but... I think it's pretty darn awesome. So yeah, I think, I'm sure that... Well, I, I like the tradition of Halloween shows as well. They always tend to be really good. So I like them. They're always ridiculous. And I feel like it's like, you know, if we're going to spend all of our time on something, I feel like fall is always the perfect time to feel motivated to do something crazy and giant. I always feel that way. I don't know if it's mm-hmm. because of school and like I still go to school somehow, you know, <laughs> or you're, mm-hmm. like, you're like revved up to do something insane and then you're really tired by the time winter shows up. I can't tell. Mm-hmm. But um, but I am excited about it. I think it'll be really fun. Yeah, I am also really excited. Thank you, guys. Yes. I can't wait to see it in real life. I know. It Thank is a huge, goodness. Awesome privilege to be able to come there and see what you guys are working on right now. Well, I'm excited to see your wonderful face, and then we'll take photos of it. And you can't <laughs> opt out. Your face? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm, I'm specifically talking about Francesca's okay. face. I'll also document the show, but I'll document your face. Yeah, what well, happens if be... we don't remember what you look like anymore? I have no idea. Okay. Well, good. There we have to be document before you're... Plenty of documentation, though. So anybody that... What if you walk enough? in and we don't know who you are and we're like, welcome, kind sir. Ah, <laughs> sir. <laughs> yesterday, okay. somebody yesterday walked by. Yesterday, I my head outside and some guy goes... Or some girls were like, hey, boy. And then... <laughs> I got really confused. 
<laughs> maybe they weren't talking. Maybe they, were they talking to someone else? I was the only person on the street. Was was Atari there? No. <laughs> just my head. Just Jenny's head. Oh. Her whole body wasn't even out there. It's just her head. But anyway, we'll, t- we'll document your existence here so people know that you're real. And then um, also, I'm really excited. If you are an artist that's coming for the Cosmos show, um, I'm speaking globally to anyone that's showing up. I know we have a bunch of people that have told Jenny or I that they're going to be on their way over here. I am super excited. Um, do us a favor and and find us and tell mm-hmm. us who you are um, and we will make you wear a name tag so yes. other people can appreciate your awesome work here and we'll show you around and introduce you to other artists. There's going to be a ton of people that are showing up from all corners of the universe um, to see Cosmos. And again, anybody who's coming just to participate um, in the experience. And if you want to meet some of the artists involved, we would love to introduce you guys and help you, you know, say hi to other people. So you too, Francesca, I'm going to make you wear a name tag. That's fine. Okay. I'm usually wearing one anyway. Oh, yeah, that's okay. <laughs> you wear one every day. <laughs> every day. I wear day. one frequently. Yeah. That's um, cool. Cool. Well, Chris, where can you find out more? <laughs> well, you can email us, podcast at lightgrayartlab.com. You can follow us on Twitter. We're at lightgrayartlab. You can like us on Facebook and find out about upcoming shows, game nights, workshops, everything else. You can follow us on Tumblr. We're lightgrayartgallery.tumblr.com and we re-tumble, we retumble artists' um, work and also process behind the scenes thing, all sorts of stuff there. We also have an Instagram account now, which is updated very frequently. It's like Gray Art Lab, like everything else, pretty much, except for our Tumblr. Oh, man, a Tumblr. What's up with that? <laughs> and yeah. you can also subscribe to the show on the iTunes Music Store, stream it directly on Stitcher Radio. Yeah, and again, one last reminder, um, if you want to pick up a copy of the uh, Cosmos Tarot and Oracle deck, you totally should. It will be here in person. You can pick it up at the opening if you're in town or if you're going to be stopping by. Um, We do have that to hopefully coming to some sort of like you know video preview of it uh, photo preview next week which is crazy right it mm-hmm. right there at the end so um that of course you can find at shop.likeartlab.com so um stay tuned for other cool things thanks francesca and uh, thank you yeah and we'll talk to you guys soon Presidents with the part on the right side are weenies, and then presidents with the part on the left side are powerful. Interesting. So I used to have my part on the left side like my whole life, and then a couple years ago my hair hurt really bad, so I started parting it on the other side. I started parting it on the other side just because I was like, I wonder if people really are going to treat me differently than my hair is (laughs) going in this direction. And uh, I don't know if I saw any difference, and I'm confused about which side it was on. However, they did say that supposedly ladies with power hair uh, end up having more positions in CEO situations than the ones with the other one. Interesting. Who said that? I don't know. A bunch of weird studies. I don't know why I was looking it up. So is that why you started parting your hair on the other side? I was like, I'm going to be a CEO quick. (laughs) And then I, I was like, I wonder if people will take me seriously. But they were saying that people with the part on the left side that they were like oh this is like poindexter yeah i don't know i don't know what that means what poindexter means no i i don't know (laughs) what it means to have your hair parted on one side or the other yeah chris is has a colic in the back that just flies around it's in a spiral so i don't know what that says about him chaotic neutral i have i also have a colic in the back (laughs) chaotic neutral i it doesn't determine your alignment it determines your coolness factor oh yeah you have like a little 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 piece flying around over yep. there. A little front pubis. <laughs> oh no. <laughs>